I'm going to just get boxes randomly and open it up. It's going to legitimately be like Christmas because I have no idea what's in this. Yeah, you guys are going to have a space problem, man. Yeah. yeah. Quick, that. Real quick. Welcome to Beyond the Table, a podcast about a team of folks who love publishing and playing board games, with topics ranging from capstone games news and industry insights to games we're playing and fun we're having. This is episode 9, recorded on November 22nd, and convention season just keeps coming. Hey folks, Tim here. Hey guys, it's Josh. Hello all, it's Brian. Hey everybody, it's Clay. Alright, well in today's episode... While we're uh, talking about our recent gaming adventures, we'll introduce a new local voice to the podcast. You've heard the name in our previous episodes, but we finally got a chance to pull Brian onto a mic. After those shenanigans, we'll head over to Capstone Corner to cover the latest company news. Then we'll turn around and our main topic for tonight is a discussion on the importance of balance in board gaming. Do you prefer a title with quote-unquote perfect balance, or one that requires the players to maintain the balance amongst themselves? Like usual, I expect there will be no definitive answers when the dust settles. After that, we wanted to take a few minutes to talk about what we expect to see at PAX Unplugged this year, and what our current plans are for the early December convention, as well as tackle a question or two from our Discord community. With that, let's get this thing started and join me as we take this discussion beyond the table. All right, Clay, were you able to find some warehouse space for these recent container deliveries? You keep texting me saying that their stuff just keeps showing up. Is that pretty much the case? It just keeps coming (laughs) in, man. It is wild. Yeah, we're all the stuff that's been sitting out there is all of a sudden opening up and coming in. We're uh, I've been there a lot lately, just working at the warehouse, shipping things out. So wild times, man. Did you have to go vertical? You find you find places for all the all the stuff that was previously there. Open up some floor space, or yeah, how did you get around that mess? So I got a guy who helps out a lot, and he shifts things around, fills holes, and uh, we've got racks, man. They're all full, and the floor space is pretty full. So we're ready for the holidays, and every day we're just shipping so many po- like packages, pallets. It's it's wild. It's exciting. So loving it, loving it. Sounds like a real life board game. You got a little puzzle going on there, just shifting stuff around. I, I gotcha. swear, splatters involved with this one, man. It's got to be. <laughs> is that is that cargo in any way curious? I mean, just sometimes it is. You know, you look at it and you're just like, "What is that? Is that really a game in there?" No, I don't know. <laughs> my goodness. Oh yeah. man. Warehouse and fun, Josh. You playing any games though? All right, so Clay, I have a story for you. Yes. So last Saturday, after the the horrible game of Nemesis that I didn't have to participate in, yes. Oh my! Oh um, yeah. good times. We played Age of Steam. <laughs> oh, so nice. we played some great Age of Steam, and shocker of all shockers, Tim did not win. What? Come I on. won. Okay, which map did you play though? Rust Belt. Okay, so a classic. All right. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, one of the guys was his first time, and so we had five player going on, and I somehow pulled out a victory, and it was the most amazing thing. That had to feel so good. Just to- it did with Tim at the table. It felt better. Like I could have 
but it's an economic game too, and it's the basic map from Age of Steam. Yeah, yeah. I lost. Tim, I, how do you I, feel? Do you feel I sad pinned on the him inside? down? I pinned him down. Turn, turn two. I told everyone I was out of it. That Josh oh. had success. Josh had successfully closed me off from uh, so much in just a couple of uh, couple of moves, and of course, like they usually say, it's like, oh, you're just you know slow playing or uh, you know just uh, downplaying, I guess, my position. But and I had a little bit of a uh, comeback near the end, but still, um, I mean, uh, we enough. kept it. We kept it. We kept it close-ish, but then um, then Josh really took off in the last last couple turns. In his defense, though, Tim always says he's out of it in round two. Doesn't matter how many rounds yeah. the game goes. Round <laughs> yeah. two or three, round two of 400. Oh, I'm out of this one. Yeah, okay, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It doesn't make sense. Yeah, I, I got lucky in that the, uh, we were playing with another guy, and he was uh, he was the one we were I was keeping pace with. And after the last round, I had one le- I took one less share than him, and he had one more locomotive than me. And that was the difference. Jeez, wild. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, it was tight. That's wild, man. I had 13 shares and I had the least. Like, there was a lot of debt in that game. It was was, ridiculous. That was the worst, the the worst leveraged Rust Belt uh, game I've ever played. (laughs) I mean, we we had two with 15 shares, two with 14, and and one with 13. Everyone was uh, leveraged to the hilt, paying. uh, Pan out there, you know, for their infrastructure every uh, every turn. It was pretty crazy. Yeah, well, it was like round six, and I made two dollars, and I was like, "Yes, I did!" <laughs> wow, wow. We had a couple fun auctions, Brian. What did you uh, What did you think about those couple auctions that you were in that got up into the what eights and nines? I believe. I mean, I, I couldn't let Fulton win. I wasn't even sure what action I was bidding on, but that wasn't important. I just wanted to make sure <laughs> Fulton didn't win. So, you know, it's super important to get that free pass in the last round of the game. And that's really what I was going for. <laughs> Strategies. It's wild. Exactly. <laughs> so, Brian, we got to introduce Brian to everybody. Well, that's unfortunate. Brian is the great lover of Guan Yu. Yeah, that is that is accurate. <laughs> the ticket to ride or not. Why did I say ticket to ride? Oh, my God. I don't know. You should be How, How dare you? The warehouse, guys. It's bad. How dare my you? My brain is mush. It'd be real embarrassing if you're the one that produced Three Kingdoms, but you know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Guan Yu, the the best man to ever live. Oh, so, such a good guy. Yeah, I'm usually the guy being talked about who's lost to Tim in Three Kingdoms Redux. So, um, well, that's game, everybody who plays with Tim. That's true. <laughs> one out of forty games, somebody else might cheat and beat him. <laughs> he just can't see it coming. Oh man. So Brian, who are you? What what do you like other than Guan Yu? I don't like I don't like much. Um, but yeah, I've been I've been in the gaming hobby for eight or nine years, and we've been gaming together. What five years now? Six, three, four, four. <laughs> You've been a number on a dartboard. I think more than three or four. I, mean, years. I don't know, man. With this pandemic, the last two years feels like about a week and a half. So I really don't That's know true. what's going on with it. But yeah, yeah it's been a, it's been I think three or four years, maybe five or six. I don't know. Um, <laughs> Yeah, just kind of local area. I'm normally gaming most weekends with Josh and Tim. So big Three Kingdoms fan, as they mentioned. Guan Yu, amazing. <laughs> what, what would you say is your, your favorite uh, favorite genre in board gaming? 
Uh, solo games, I would say. I'm not sure if that uh-huh. counts as a genre, but I always tell sure. these guys, I'm a solo gamer that for some reason has a board game group. Um, <laughs> not really sure why I leave my house ever. But when I do, it's typically to go play something terrible with these guys that's not a solo game. <laughs> Hoping that someday it might be good. One of these days it might be. It sure wasn't this past weekend. Age of Steam's oh. a good time. I do enjoy Age of Steam. Um, just because of the narrative it builds. Kidding, of course. That's what he always says about Nemesis. She's <laughs> terrible. But, but yeah, that's me. Just, um, you know, like I said, been cool. doing it for a little while. So thanks for having me on. I do appreciate it. Yeah, Absolutely. I think it's great. All right, Josh. What else do you got uh, either uh, have you have played or that's coming up? Well, um, my wife and I have another couple. We've been playing a lot of 500 bid, which is just, if I'm going to play a card game, that's the one I'm always going to sit down to. Also known as bid euchre for some yeah. people. Get 10 cards with a five card kitty, set your bid, and uh, whoever bids the highest gets the kitty, gets the set trump. And just it is such good partner play. Like, you just you really have to learn how to trust and read your partner. And, like, I just that's that's a game my parents will play. I still remember my grandmother yelling at me for. How dare you only bid seven tricks? That's a pansy bid. You need to get the kitty. What are you doing? So, yeah, my my grandmother's hardcore when it comes to card games, especially with partner games. So, um, and my my dad won't play euchre because he hates shuffling that much. So he's like, get me give me a game where you have to do something so I don't have to shuffle that much. So yeah, five hundred's been the family game. We've gotten to play it several times over the last couple of weeks with another couple, my wife and I, I just, it just really fell in love with the game all over again, just because it's just such a, a great game to sit down and uh, just kind of lose yourself for a little while talking and throwing some cards out. So yeah, we've had a lot of fun with that. And then, uh, yeah, Euchre, man, that's the, the game of the Midwest. Yep. And then uh, hopefully getting some Thanksgiving croconol in. Let's go. Yeah, man, that's when we played that when when I came up to Temp's house and Brian, you were there and yeah, me and Josh played Crokinole. That's fun, man. Oh, yeah. It's oh, I yeah. want a board now and yeah. <laughs> it's addicting. It's just one of those addicting games. Well, yeah. And yep. I mean, I introduced my dad to it last Christmas and by February he would bought his own board and like yeah, um, that seems right. That's that's yeah. So I know I'm taking my board to Thanksgiving because I'm going to get all of the family, all the extended family is going to be playing Crokinole. And by the end of the day, I expect that they'll be like, hey, Brian, go pick up your board and bring it over. My dad's name is Brian for context. Hey, Brian, go pick up your board, bring it over. We need two boards going. So, I was going to say, I've already got Thanksgiving plans, man. I can't come. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I fully expect there'll be a lot, a lot of Crokinole going on. So I just that it's such a relaxing game. It's just like Euchre. It's you're you're sitting down. You can get four people at a table and like the game eventually falls away and you're just spending time together conversation and and you just you're just flicking discs like I I don't think there's a lot better than than that kind of night where you're just sitting down either with a deck of cards or a crokinole board or you know dominoes even where it's just like those games tend to fall away and it really just becomes about the conversation and you know talking to people across the table. Yeah, those are good moments, man. Yeah. I love it. 
yeah, yeah, we even got to play play a little bit this weekend. That was a uh, that was a good time. A little bit of little bit of four player two on two, you know, team game. It's a little bit different when you're playing the uh, you know one on one. Boy, it seems like um, you have so many more options when you have a full full loadout of discs versus just uh, six in a in a team game. Well, yeah, and the, the angles change. That yeah, that absolutely. angle change is huge. Like when you're going across, it's a lot easier to kind of maybe park a disc behind a post or really make it difficult to 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 hit and possibly cause your opponent to get some discs off the board and um, give yourself some open 20 shots. But with that partner play and it, you know, you, you kind of have to work and, and really talk about, all right, we'll go for this one because I need this one open. And, you know, just it, it is just a, a beautiful game to, in terms of its simplicity, but yet there's just a lot to, uh, a lot to do there. Yeah. I hear you. That's a, it, it's a favorite not only amongst us, but around the uh, with the family here as well. So yeah, no, I, I I hear you. It's a it's a fun one. Oh yeah. So what about you? What about you, Brian? You been playing anything good? That's solo. <laughs> yeah, matter of fact, uh, actually, the last couple of months I haven't gotten a whole lot of solo plays in. I'm not sure if anybody out there is familiar with the video game Diablo Two. You know, <laughs> if you're roughly my age, it was out 20 years ago, and then they decided they wanted more money, so they just released it again, and I bought it. Uh, so yeah, I've been playing a lot of that, but I haven't gotten some weekly plays in. I've got some standing appointments with a few friends to play some weekly games. But before I get into those, I did want to, or one of those actually is uh, with a buddy of mine. We have been playing, and I know you guys have talked a lot about this recently, but uh, Madara. So we started playing a campaign of Madara in June of 2019, and we finished it a week and a half ago. So we get together <laughs> once Wait, a week. Wait, you yeah. took two years to do this? Yeah, I mean, almost two and a half, but I don't know oh. why you're counting, Clay. All right. I can feel the judgment. I don't appreciate it. Clay, are you regretting your life right Is now? Is that really that long, though? We took a we took a seven-month break uh, okay. because of the pandemic last year. There have been a few weeks where we couldn't get together for one reason or another, or we decided we wanted to play something else because one of us got something new and we wanted to try. I think all in all, we ended up probably around 45 plays 45 scenarios or so is what we ended up doing in the two and a half years so yeah definitely some breaks in there but just wanted to briefly mention that i you know i did finish it i know you guys have been talking about it and definitely stick with it i mean we both thought it was well worth the ride you want to talk about narrative i mean that it's there's literally a novel or two in there of story that is just and i really enjoyed it so i mean it was really a really enjoyable story there were a couple parts where the scenarios got a little repetitive there were a couple times where scenario 38 was okay go from a to b scenario 39 was okay go from b to a it's like okay well we just did that so we just kind of <laughs> hand waved some of those like i think we can do it because we literally just did so yeah. but not too many not too much repetitiveness there with that just um but yeah it was it was a good time so i just kind of wanted to mention that since you guys just stick with it and i know tim you're going at a rate um with jane i think that you guys are going to be done in about a month as opposed to the two and a half year mark that i set so our record won't stand long yeah we we really started pumping the brakes on that a couple of weeks ago and started getting into some other stuff so i think we're, we'll probably take a little bit of a break and and hopefully turn back to it here and uh i'm gonna guess maybe a month month or two and and hopefully get back to it but uh brian what you just described that idea of you know there are a couple 
and, and we've already run into a, you know a couple instances where it started feeling a little a little more grindy, I guess, than what we would desire. You almost got out of the narrative, and it it almost yeah. felt more like that um, that video game feel where you were just going through the motions so you could collect some gold, so you could go get some loot, so you could go get some experience, so you could you know um, spin up your disciplines and stuff like that. And but but seriously, we we only had maybe one or two of those uh, so far, and I mean we've got I I don't know how many sessions in, but uh, I think we're up to over forty hours, uh, easy. So so I, I I hear you, and and that was one thing, FYI, that a uh, couple of the lead guys, what uh, Brooklyn and Alex, that we were talking to at uh, at Gen Con, they were saying that that was a change that they made actually for Acts two and three, that it was moving even uh, you know less. The pacing's better, yeah. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Speeding up the pacing of the narrative just to try to keep it more, uh, more engaging. And again, it's still solid. We're we're still super yeah. into 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 the story, but uh, but to improve it even a little bit more. So again, looking forward to that. When are you expecting those, Brian? And I know you backed those. Are you looking uh, what twenty twenty five or something well, yeah, like I, that? I was one of the original backers of the first one, and they were four years late on that one. Delivery yeah. four years late. Well worth it, honestly. I mean, well worth it. Very good game. Um, they were supposed to deliver Zach 2 and 3, I believe, next month. That's obviously not happening. So <laughs> I think now they're hoping next year. But realistically, I'm thinking, yeah, probably 2023 sometime, most mm-hmm. likely. But for the time being, I, I told my buddy, I'm like, hey, man, I, I think I might do Act 2 and 3 by myself because, you know, I want to do something else with you for the next seven years. So we'll <laughs> see what we can do. Explore new games. But on top of that, I have another buddy. Um, Ever since the pandemic started, uh, we've actually been playing Mage Knight once a week on, well, it started off originally we were doing, we were sharing screens and we would just hold the cards up to the camera because we both own the game. So we just had it set up in front of us. And then about week three, I'm like, all right, there's got to be a better way than this. So Tabletop Simulator, I purchased that and looked for the mod on Tabletop Simulator. And there's a great one out there that's scripted. I can't remember who put it out, but there's a really great mod for it. Yeah, a lot of it is scripted, and it really speeds up play um, for Mage Knight. So Mage Knight, is, it's uh, developed by WizKids. It originally came out in 2011 with expansions in 2012, 13, and 15. And then in 2018, wow. they decided to release a deluxe edition or ultimate edition with a box three times larger than it needs to be and has <laughs> all the expansions in it, plus, of course, five new cards for the chumps like me who don't have those five new cards. But luckily, <laughs> they sold them on their website, so I didn't have to buy the ultimate edition um and this this probably is my number one game both solo as well as two player it's great three player it's really good four player it's almost as long as like a that game of nemesis we played over the weekend oh my um it, it gets really long it's still you know you're actually doing stuff so it's actually still a good game but oh, it's just not come on now what? yes <laughs> what are you talking about he's playing the game Tim. Um, but no, it's, it's a great game. So I believe it's based off of an older game or role-playing game called Mage Knight as well. Um, this is technically Mage Knight, the board game, but I don't know anything about the original IP or anything about the IP really at all, but you do select a Mage Knight. Each Mage Knight starts with 16 cards. Two of those cards are unique to the Mage Knight. If you have the Lost Legion expansion, if you have just the original base box, then only one of those cards is unique to the Mage Knight. And they each have their own set of, I believe, 10 skills um, that kind of separate them and make them a little bit um, unique to play each specific Mage Knight. 
So what you're going to be doing is it's kind of an exploration game. There's hex grids that you're going to be going across, exploring. You're going to be releasing. You're going to be undiscovering. Sorry. You're going to be discovering mage towers and keeps and other random stuff that shows up on the board. Again, in certain expansions, we'll add other things that you discover. And then as you level up, you're going to get to learn those skills that's unique to your Mage Knight. You're going to be able to grab advanced action cards, spells, artifacts, which effectively make it, it's a deck builder in a sense, but it's not a deck builder in that you're going to be constantly adding cards to your deck. But by the end of the game, you'll probably have 20 some cards, uh, whereas you start the game with 16. Those cards make you more powerful and they're used for everything in the game. So you use cards to move and the movement depends on what type of terrain are you going into? You use cards to attack, you use cards to block, and you use cards to buy units, which also kind of sit to the side and are things you can activate once per round. So it's, it's real, been a real fantastic quick, game. Real, yeah. real quick, Brian, though, when, when you do a move, do you do a, do you roll for noise? No, you don't roll for noise. Roll Another for noise. way so, the game's oh better. God, it's so, so much better. So then how do the bad guys know to come out? I, I don't understand. I'm super I don't know. Lost. When you spend two cards in Nemesis to move carefully and you get to place the noise, how does that make sense? Am I wearing squeaky shoes? Take your shoes off, man. doesn't make any sense. <laughs> no, you throw something over in the corner so oh, it yeah, makes I a forgot. noise down I there. Forgot. Come on. You know I always what? sound my arrival cannon whenever I show up in a new in a new room. Just got to shoot that cannon off to signal my arrival. Hey, Brian. Hey, Mage Knight's still a better still a better story than Nemesis. Yeah, oh my. You're, you're you're not wrong. You're absolutely true. Um, but yeah, it's it's a great game, and it's um, I know I listened to you guys' solo episode. I forget what episode that was. You did that, and quite frankly, I was appalled that no one mentioned this game. But um, <laughs> it has been for the last three years. It has been the number two solo game on BGG's solo. Uh, number one has been Spirit Island. But for the previous, I think, four or five years, Mage Knight was number one, and it should still be number one. Spirit Island's a great game, but Mage Knight is better. The only thing that could make it better is, of course, Guan Yu. But he's unfortunate. <laughs> he's not in that universe, I'm, I'm afraid. He's not, but I have thought I've thought about reskinning it. Just, just throwing Guan Yu in there for fun. I don't know how I'd do it, but... <laughs> I have enough pictures of the man. That's weird. <laughs> we are we are approaching the that territory right now. <laughs> He's thought about getting a one U statue for his house. Yeah, yeah. More than more than more times than I care to admit, I've thought about that. No garden gnomes. So, it's the one U or Guan Yu gnomes. I don't so know. I, can you uh, can you describe the the level of the um, the sculpts for the miniatures? Because it sounds yeah. like they're well beyond the Nemesis Awakened Realms sculpts. Oh, yeah. You, you think you knew what good minis look like. You don't. Um, <laughs> these are absolutely terrible. They, they look like they painted them with a paintball gun somehow. I'm not sure that happened. But they, they do come pre-painted, you know. So there's a plus. Well worth that price tag. Um, so the only minis that are in the game, each Mage Knight has a mini that, of course, represents them. And they're not they're not great. But you're not buying this game for that. And there's only, I think, seven or eight Mage Knights. So that's how many minis you're getting. And then there are four cities. The ultimate goal is to take those cities over. Those cities are going to be protected by dragons or guards, just different things like that, just different, all represented by tokens. Those aren't minis. Those are just tokens in the game. Those cities, though, do also kind of have minis. And then WizKids is kind of known for their hero clicks, which are the minis that have those bases that you can rotate 360 degrees and they click. Yep. Again, 100% unnecessary because the game also comes with cards that just show you what's on the hero clicks thing. So you could just play with the cards. Um, there are quite a few 
3D printed stuff out there that people can do that I've thought about doing, uh, which would be one reason to get the huge box if you wanted to 3D print all these things. Uh, but yeah, the minis are not great, but that's, you know, that's not why you're buying it. It really is. There are a lot of rules. I will say this was, this one's kind of my first foray into, oh crap, how do you play this game? Let's see if YouTube happens to have a video. So this was one early on in my, in the, in, in the hobby, this was one that I, um, I just looked on the BGG top 100, right? When you're new to the hobby, you go look at the top 100 and you assume they're all great games. <laughs> Which, of course, they're not because, you know, Nemesis is on there. So when I saw this at the time, I think it was I think it was number three at the time. This was a while ago. So I just started buying games in the top 10 and top 20. And this was one that actually stuck around. But the rule book is not great. It's not terrible, but it's not great. So I had to watch Ricky Royal videos on YouTube. Um, this is one of Paul Grogan's from Gaming Rules favorite games. So he has recently done some videos as well that can help people get into it. But this is very rules heavy. Um, there are different types of attacks. There's cold attacks, fire attacks. There are cold fire attacks. They work the same, but also differently. Um, so there's a lot of rules you need to know. And I you know, Tim, at one point, I attempted to teach you and two other people how to play this game over tabletop simulator. I believe we got through half of a round in four hours. <laughs> no. Which was still better. It was. Than a six hour game of Nemesis. I'll let it go at some point, but it won't be tonight. It was five and a half hours. Okay. Actually, it was five um, fifteen. Every time you say it, it gets longer. Listen, the twelve hour game of Nemesis wasn't great, is what I'm saying. <laughs> but yeah, it's a really game, a really great game. Highly recommend it, especially if you're a solo player out there, or if you typically have smaller numbers. I would say one to three, pretty comfortable. Two is fine, but once you go into four, it just it takes a while. It can definitely overstay its welcome, which I don't mind. Uh, my buddy and I have gotten it down to we play a full game. There are also different game modes I haven't mentioned. There's a bunch of stuff out there for this, including fan-made stuff, which is just fantastic too. Um, but there are different game modes. So the full conquest is a full, it's a six round game. It represents three days and three nights. And that is the, I think the longest game you can play. And we've gotten our plays on Tabletop Simulator down to about two hours. And again, we played it. I think I have 90 some plays of that logged in the last two years because I didn't log my plays when I originally got it and played it. Um, but yeah, and that was one again, tabletop simulator. If you're, if you want to play with people or try to learn it or just kind of play around with it, what really bugged us was the person who did it had a Google doc on the table in tabletop simulator. They put like a three iPads out there so you could go on and you could send your scores in so you could see how you, you know, were doing based with everybody else. So a few months ago, my buddy Creed and I decided, all right, Let's try to be top score. Like, let's stop playing for fun, basically, and let's try to maximize our score. So we went and we looked at what the highest score was for what we were doing. It was 248. So first month, we didn't come close. We were just kind of getting into the groove of how to play the, the, the full Conquest game. The night we hit 251, we sent our score in and we went to look at it on the Google Docs and they were broken. And they haven't been fixed <laughs> since. So the night we beat the game, we broke the game. So <laughs> since then, we've tied the old record at 248. Uh, last week, I think we hit 247. So it, it is one of those games where the first, I want to say 20 times I played it, didn't keep score. It was, did you defeat the two cities that you were supposed to defeat? Yes or no. Um, but then once you get down used to it, and now beating the game is really a foregone conclusion. And now that now we're to the part where we're actually trying to keep our score to see if we've improved over our previous scores. Um, but no, it's a very, very good game. Highly recommend it, but it is very rules heavy. 
so yeah, like I was saying, it was kind of the first one where I had, I mean, I sat down and I think that's why I know the rules so well. I spent a lot of time watching videos, rewatching videos, reading the rule book multiple times. So even though right as the pandemic was starting, I kind of reached out to him and we decided to play it. It probably been four years since we played it, but I still remembered how just because I spent so much time learning this game. So that's, that's nuts. Clay, have you ever touched Mage Knight? A long time ago, one of my good friends, um, he really likes it. I mean, Brian, I've, I've heard so many people say it's their, the best solo game ever. And yeah, I got into the game, played, I, I want to say maybe a quarter of a whole game and just got the, I, I like how the deck building works. And when you, I think when you get damaged, you get a damage card and it clogs mm-hmm. your deck. And yeah, it's just. It, it was neat. I really enjoyed that and really didn't get a chance to play it since. So, Yeah, it's a tough one. To, you have to pretty much devote a decent amount of time to it. It's a tough one to just sit. It's a tough one to teach. I mean, I, like I mentioned, when we were trying to, I was trying to teach three people at the same time, it, it took a while. And I, I'm sure there's still stuff we didn't even touch. There's probably buildings we didn't see and things like that. So, right. and there's a lot of how does this interact, you know, with this? Because depending on what type of attack it is and what modifiers the attack has, you you might need four block. Well, you might need 16 block. So there's different things. And at certain points you just go, yeah, I'm going to I'm gonna take some wounds and we'll have to worry about that later. That's future Brian's problem. And they're worth negative two points at the end of the game. So, um, but yeah, it's it's good. Really good. Highly recommend it. It's one of those games I want to get into or try after, especially after playing like these more narrative-based games like Madara and Nemesis. I, I've seen the Ultimate Edition, man. That box is just huge. It is it's ridiculous. big. It's it's big, yeah. The original base game, I have all the expansions in that box, mm. so I really don't know why they made such a huge box for that. Um, but yeah, I have. It's now it's crammed in there. The lid doesn't quite shut all the way, but yeah. it definitely did not need to be as big as it is. Right. So after we after we learned it, I I mean I liked it enough. I ended up uh, picking up the ultimate edition. It was, um, you know, at the time very affordable. Uh, I ended up getting it though, and then um, kind of sat on it. And, and did it ever leave the shrink, Tim? It never left the shrink, and I turned around and doubled uh, my money because. Oh, wow. uh, what happens is that game tends to go out of print. I guess every once in a while. Is that yeah, kind of what you've seen, Brian? Yeah, apparently WizKids in 10 years hasn't realized they have a hit on their hands because they'll produce it. It'll go out of print for a few months and you'll, I'll constantly see I'm in a Mage Knight Facebook group because why wouldn't I be? And people will every once every four or five months, you'll say, I, I can't find it anywhere. And everyone's like, yeah, just wait three more months. So if you can hit the, you know, play the Mage Knight stock market and hit it correctly, I think because I think uh, Fulton did the same thing, another person in our game yeah. group. Bought it around the same time. I think he did play a couple games, was terrible at it, and then sold his <laughs> out of failure. Um, but I think same thing. I think I think he sold his for a profit as well. Yeah, yeah, I think he did. Yeah, Clay, you might know Fulton. His, his you you might know him by the name Feldman. Feldman. Yeah, that was the uh, the name I put in the hotel. That's gonna stick, by the way. <laughs> I, so, yeah, I still call him Feldman. Yeah, Josh was calling him Feldman all week, man, all weekend, and I was not privy to that. So I'm like, why? I'm just, I just went with it, but that makes sense now. Oh man. Hey, I got a lot on my mind, man. It's hard to keep <laughs> everybody intact in sometimes. I'm sure he's answered to worse. You're fine. <laughs> no, and going and going back to what you talked about, Brian, the solo episode. Both of the games that you have listed here were in my notes, 
And similarly, yeah. we just ran out of time and I, I didn't get to talk talk about it very much. But I had your second one above Mage Knight. Do you just want to name it? Yeah, I wanted to, and I kind of wanted to talk about it. It is Hexplorit, which is an absolutely terrible name. I, I will fully admit that. Yeah, and agreed. Every time I name it, I start to get all the hex puns, and it just it <laughs> really aggravates me. But well, he uh, it sends the, him into a hexistential crisis. Okay, <laughs> then he gets stabbed. Um, so Heading for the hex. I wanted to mention it is the <laughs> I just recently received an email. So they have this is of course going to be six volumes. Currently, three have been released. The fourth is uh, was on GameFound a few months ago. So. Over the weekend, I did get the email. The pledge manager is closing early next year. So February, March, they're thinking. So if it's something, you know, if it's a game you're looking at, looking at or interested in, then I know everything's available in the pledge manager. Uh, I, that's another one I highly recommend as well. That one's kind of 80% game, 20% game system. Um, has some similarities to Mage Knight, but it's uh, it's another one I enjoy. But yeah, that's also, that one's not as high on the solo game. I think that one, it's in the top 200, but it, it doesn't even crack the top 100, I don't think. But it's in my top five solo games. It's it's also very good. Well, I know we, we've had a lot of fun with it at two player as well, as well yeah. as a, you know a handful of games at at three. I, 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 have we played four? I don't think we have. I, can't, I was going to say I can't. Yeah. I don't think we played four. But that one scales but, well because you move as a group, so you're not all right. doing your own thing. Like in Mage Knight, everyone's doing their own thing. But in Hexplore, it you each have your own character, but you move as a group and all act at the same time. So that one, yeah. It still takes a very long time. It is. A, it can be for sure a very long game, or it can be a very short game. You could die almost immediately, but it's it's another good one. I recommend it. But yeah, I've used up. I've used up too much time. So Tim, what have you been playing? <laughs> All right. So as we were putting Madara uh, away for some company and actually took it off the table for the first time in many weeks, I got a chance to pull out too many bones. I know we talked about this last uh, last month when we were uh, when we were recording as well, but. Actually got a chance to really uh, dive in and got a couple games as a group, uh, both two player and three player with this. But also I've been soloing this one and been um, for the most part when I'm soloing, I'm playing two characters. I've never done any of the just single characters or single gear locks at a, at a time, but uh, it sounds like there's a pretty decent opportunity for that. But yeah, this is a, this is a chip theory games title, 2017 one to four player techno fantasy so it's kind of a, a combination i mean you've got some um i'll say a generic genre fantasy but there's a little bit more um mechanics in it as well uh, unique dice chucking co-op is what i ended up calling it so every every die in the uh the characters is is basically a unique die uh and on and there's each eight million dice per character it's ridiculous. Only 16. There's too many well, of them. Jesus. There's too many There's, bones. Yeah, almost as many as the, as the bones, exactly. So yeah, every every character, I mean you got you got four four dice that are you're just using for your stats, but then yeah, you've got 16 other ones that are unique <laughs> for that individual character and pretty much every face is unique for every die. So you do the math, it gets a little oh, that's a, little a lot silly. of work. Yeah. Josh, did you and, play this one yet? No. I have no interest. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> so what was uh, it, Brian? Was it two weeks ago? Me, you, and and my wife Kelly yeah. sat down and we played. Uh, we played a session or against one tyrant, and yeah, uh, yeah. and for me, I mean, I, every time I played, I picked up a new. Uh, the The characters are called gear locks. It's like a what is it? Half elf, half gnomish, kind of. Yeah, like I mean, it's, it's like a it's a it's like their race, I, I believe. I, I don't think there's another IP that has it in it. But uh, but I'm not positive. 
on that one. But yeah, it's got a little bit of an RPG type feel, similar to Hexplorit, where you have a character, you're kind of building them up over time. This one, again, the mechanics are just a little bit a little bit different uh, in that uh, that whole 16 unique dice uh, side of it. Mm. Production is is quite good, and I think we've talked about this before. But the the um, it's well, it's chip theory, so you got tons of poker chips, uh, decently weighted. They don't feel uh, super cheap. The only ones that feel cheap are the health tokens that come in the base game. Oh, the little plasticky things, yeah, yeah, and and they and they sell the they sell premium health tokens, and that was one of I, I picked those up, and that was after playing with. Uh, Brian said, "I was like, oh yeah, no, that's that's going to be difficult to uh, to bounce back and forth between the uh, nice, heavy weighted <laughs> ones and the the light. Um, they're super slick too. Like it's, it's hard to keep everything just uh, on top. Everything wants to fall off. But you know, the the stacks just want to keep keep falling. But uh, lots of PVC cards, reference sheets, all that stuff. I have had a couple issues with uh, some of my." Um, some of my my bits being uh, being crinkled or having having some some pretty uh, pretty drastic like a wave set into them, but they've been super good at, at helping to get them replaced. Uh, I know I I got one replaced already and a second one on its way. So uh, customer service on that on that st- uh, from that standpoint's been been excellent. Cool. Uh, yeah, it's 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 pretty cool. It's, it's pretty cool. Character selection, you have your base gear locks, which the base game comes with four. The standalone expansions come with two. And then uh, each of the, uh, oh, each of the series, I guess uh, right now they just, uh, on GamePound, had their third uh, set. They, they come, um, they have some expansion gear locks that, that go go along with those as well. So tons of choices, uh, you know, just in character selection now within that character again there's tons of ways there's so much variability in how to play it but one thing i kind of liked about it was um each gearlock has a, a a character sheet or a reference card and on it it gives you a, a an idea of how to start i'm uh, not saying that you have to go this way but hey you know what your first upgrade you might want to try this and your second one you might want to try this well in a game where you're going to end up getting what would you say, Brian? Maybe maybe 10, 10 to twelve upgrades over a over a tyrant, you know, a series of days. Yeah, it depends on the ty- tyrant because some tyrants are six or seven days, and then the one we played a couple of weeks ago, I think, it was thirteen days. Yeah, so it was the more long. En- encounter opportunities you have, the more um, points you'll get to train up. Yeah. Well, I think it's nice that they give you kind of suggestions on, on right. kind of what to do because. I know when my wife and I were playing Gloomhaven with our 500 partners, if you'd never played a game like that, they had no idea, like, how do I even play this character? Like, right. they had a spellcaster and they were getting in melee range. And I was just like, right. yeah. <laughs> no. okay, that might, that might be a problem. You might need to rethink how you're doing your character. Um, and so, like, I think that especially with if you want to get people into a game like that, having that kind of suggestion early on really can help people who might not have the mind of I've been playing RPGs for the last 20 years. Of course I know how to play this character, <laughs> you know, might help yeah, right. them people who aren't those people to get into the game and, and get fluent in what they're supposed to be doing. Nope. Totally agree. I mean, that's, it's definitely a game where because of all that variability, you can have a little bit of decision overload where it's like you don't even know where to start because there's just so many options. But again, a couple games in, um, 
it, it starts to open up and you start being able to, okay, I, I see why you might want to start with that, but hey, you know what? Let's try this one. Let's see how this, you know, see how this route goes of the build. Yeah. So I was overwhelmed just looking at it on your table, Tim. Right. <laughs> one of the nice parts about that one too, Tim, is talk a little bit about um, how battles work in the battle map. So uh, what it is, it's a four by four. And this is something qu- quite honestly, I didn't think I was going to like at first, especially moving from a Madara, um, Madara and Hexplorit, where you have a large map and you're moving across the map and you're engaging things as you move, uh, you know, and it, it felt like you had a little bit more choice about how you were, um, how you were setting up. This is just a four by four map. And if you're playing a four player game, you got four good guys out there. And for the most part, you're going to have four bad guys out there. So half the spaces on the, on the sheet are, are, are filled. Uh, so, so moving around or trying to do something super strategic, you're probably going to have a hard time doing that. But what what, what we've ended up finding is that it's it ends up being a pretty neat neat puzzle. Now again, yeah, it can it can fill up pretty quick uh, just because uh, there are uh, there can be so many um, so many good guys and bad guys out there at the same time. Uh, but at the, but at the same time, it's still, you, you have some interesting choices about, uh, if you have a character that's not going to be super good in melee, there are ways to kind of duck behind and hide and, and be a little bit further, you know, try to be a little bit further away from the, uh, the baddies than, uh, than, and use someone as a shield type thing. So, so no, I've, um, I've really enjoyed that, uh, that side of it. How about you, Brian? What was your, what's your take on that? I know this is when you played, played a bit as well. Yeah, like you, at first I wasn't really a fan of it uh, just because to me it felt like it was taking out a lot of the strategy about positioning. But then as you start to see more of the baddies, which they literally call them baddies, for instance, one of them has an ability called engulf. And engulf is going to hit not only its target, but it's going to hit everything adjacent to its target, including itself. So even though the battle mat might take away some of like terrain like for instance josh you mentioned gloomhaven there's different terrain in gloomhaven there's blockable things there's line of sight there's none of that really in too many bones if you're a ranged character you go on the edge of the board and you can literally hit anybody on the board so you don't even need to move necessarily however if someone if one of the baddies is about to target you with engulf you might want to move up to be close to three other baddies because yeah they're going to hit you then they could potentially help you you know kill their friends and, and themselves so I would say that the sum of the strategy has changed. Strategy, some of it left, but now there's new strategy. So it's just kind of a different kind. Whereas like a game like Gloomhaven, to your point, Josh, of I'm playing a spellcaster and I've gone melee, this game kind of takes that out because it just it tells you you're ranged. So you start in the back row, you're melee, you start in the front row. And for the most part, if you're a ranged character, you might not even need to move. So it is it's a different kind of strategy as opposed to a lot of other dungeon crawl type games. So yeah, it really grew on me. Clay, I don't know if you remember this because I think both of us had melee characters when we played. But the range characters, you don't need line of sight. There is no range. Yeah, you can just duck in the corner and drop darts on you know any space on the board. Which again, at first I'm like, eh, I don't know that I lo- I like that. But <laughs> as as we played it more and more, it's like, all right, I see why they did it. But it's a good one. We've uh, we've been liking it quite a bit. Uh, again, me me from a solo standpoint, and it was one, um, yeah, that my wife was actually she was you know she was a late ad. I was like, hey, is this something you might want to try? And she like sat down for 
And she, she played for a few hours and, uh, and really ended up liking it. I think it surprised her how much she liked it. And she compared it to Madara. She said she liked Too Many Bones over Madara. Oh, wow. That's bold, sir. (laughs) Part of it was the complexity. Part of it was in in having a little bit of a roadmap and saying, hey, you know, try this, then try this, try this. Uh, You don't necessarily have that, Madara. It's kind of the training wheels are off and uh, and, and you're off to do your own thing. So the only other thing I I had to say is that Brian loves Nemesis. And then we were going to move on to you, Clay. What uh, what have you been playing? (laughs) How dare you, sir? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yep nemesis is a great activity uh, not a game of Ma- <laughs> speaking of madara clay i heard you guys got some sessions in yeah so last time i think we talked i had a, th- a session planned because i don't know if it was the halloween episode where i talked about meeting our neighbor and he was playing gloomhaven and on steam and He's like, we, we finished playing that and we started playing this new game. It starts with an M. It's like, Madara, have you heard of this? And I was like, oh, excuse <laughs> me? Yes. <laughs> and so I was like, I showed him pictures of the setup I have and the, the miniatures that Nathan painted. And he was like, oh my gosh, if you want to play that, I'm super down. So I got him and his wife, Andrea. So Caleb and Andrea came over and Ashley and my... We, we played uh, a four-player game, and we started all over because Ashley and I played the week before. Just the two of us managing two characters was a little bit too too much, um, mm-hmm. especially, I mean, just for learning the game at the same time. I mean, this game is the most complex game I've ever learned. Brian, I don't is this like Mage Knight level, or like how does that compare? Because I, I didn't read the rules to Mage Knight, so I don't know. Madara gets more difficult because you get more equipment and better equipment that has more modifiers. Whereas yeah. Mage Knight just has rules that interact with one another. Um, Midara is more like, okay, yeah, I roll these two dice, but then, well, what does this symbol do? Or what does this item do? Or all, all that and all that stuff. Whereas Mage Knight is more, all right, they're using ice to attack, but they're also swift and I have fire block. So it's, you just have, there's so many factors because of all the different rules on top of rules. Whereas Midara is just modifiers and just adding things like that. Yeah, I noticed that with some of the equipment and the relics we're getting, it's definitely combo with this and finesse with a light item. And it's, yeah, okay. So we played and enjoyed it. She actually liked it a lot. And it was just too much for one person to do two characters. I shared the same sentiment. So they came over. Um, Caleb just loved the game. Um, Andrea, not so much. It, I mean, But she played it and that was really cool. And so I called my buddy Ryan, who was one of Ashley's friends back in college. Uh, one of her uh, friends married Ryan, and we've been hanging out, doing some wine tastings and whatnot, and invited him over to play because he was playing like Cyberpunk 2077 and some some things like that. Before I even invited him to play Madara, this is the other piece to what I've been doing lately. I've been playing a lot of light games with people uh like different types of people around our neighborhood like strike uh llama llama's been a big hit Love um, oh cool yeah just and i need to get no thanks josh i want to get the one you have I, I don't know if you have a special one that plays six or seven or if that's just the base one i think but, it's just the base one i'll find out i'll let you know yeah because no thanks I, I, I like that a little bit better than llama but i mean both games are just so great to 
just you know bring out in people that are not into the board game hobby. I mean, these two guys don't even have BGG accounts, so it was it was pretty fun to pull them in with Llama and then get them to play Madara right then and there. So Ryan came over and we started again. We played the first scenario for the third time, Ashley and I. <laughs> and by that time, we had figured things out. Like, okay, all yep. of these mechanical rules. Because, man, there are so many things in this game. You're literally running an RPG that you would play on a video game. And and you're running it. But it's something special happened when we were playing this. Everybody kind of understood how to play and was there to help out run the game at the same time. So it wasn't just me, the one person running it. It was everybody was contributing to it. It just felt like everybody was invested into the game. And, and willing to to learn and grow with it. And we played three scenarios that day because originally we were just going to play maybe two if Ryan liked it. And we we did three and that was so much fun. And then this yesterday, uh, Ryan came over and we finished uh, the tutorial. It's this uh, masked scenario where you're just kind of learning the ropes, how the game works and everything. And man, that was a... The, the, that scenario is, I don't know if you guys remember playing that one, but it's, it grows, the, the map continues to grow and you get just stuff starts happening and it, it was, it was amazing. <laughs> so what is that? Is that the gauntlet? I think is, is that what they call that? Yeah, that was the gauntlet. It was the second one um, because all the other, other previous encounters at the end, your character resets to full health. You get all this, you know, boosts to basically refresh your character and then you go to the gauntlet, which is the third one. And after that scenario, you don't refresh your character completely. So mm. you're going into the the second gauntlet, which is basically the second half of it. But it's a big, long scenario. And we were we were pretty beaten up after the first gauntlet beforehand. So our characters yep. were, were wounded pretty good. And going into that was wicked, man. It was it was a lot of fun. <laughs> There are some like big, like high five moments. We were shouting. My character, I was playing Rook. <laughs> he had he had one health, and oh wow, okay. he got down. So I think he had like eight health or something or seven health, and I was in trouble. I had no consumables to boost. I had all my stuff was gone essentially, and I had a cave sickle adjacent to me, which is like the weakest character in this game. And if it's adjacent to you, it's going to attack you on its turn. And then if it lands the attack, it, it immediately attacks again. And if that attack lands, it attacks for a third time. And so we went through all those steps and I got down to one health and he was on the final attack and we rolled the dice and barely like he, he was one roll away from hit landing me with some damage. So just, <laughs> you know, just nice. one of those scenarios where everybody's just like looking at the table like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. And. <laughs> It was a lot of Is fun. Is it going to happen? Yeah. yeah. No, I got gotcha. you. Yeah. So it's just a, a great immersive story. Uh, it just tells a wonderful story. And we're all excited now to build our characters. And uh, that's that's kind of where we're at. Where once you finish the tutorial mode, you reset and you customize your character from the ground up now that you kind of know the, the mechanics of the game. So we're going to give that a shot. And uh, that's really what I've been invested in is just getting all those rules in your brain is a lot. Yep. It's, it's a, a ton. 
And other than that, it's been warehouse work. I've been working so much. I kind of feel bad because I've been working 10, 11 hour days. So my kids are letting me know about it every time. Like, Why are you working so late, dad? My four-year-old walk asking me and I'm like, ah, it's, it's a busy time. And so, um, I gotcha. So, so it's a combination of warehouse and Madara. That's what I'm hearing. Yeah, pretty much, uh, All right. working my butt off. And then when we can, we'll play some Madara. Me get nothing wrong with that. Yeah. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Are they story rounds, Brian, where you go in and you, you basically end up, uh, you almost have like a shop. Yeah. Yeah. Those we we always had a good time with, especially when you change loot levels, because it's like it's just you're a kid going into a new different candy store. Yeah, there's always yeah. so much so much cool chrome on the uh, on the wall that you get to go poke through and uh, just check out and look for uh, look for combos and yeah, it was a uh, we've had a real good time so far. So that, that's great. That's great, Clay. I will I will say this, having finished it to both of you who are playing it. So if you've ever played in a JRPG you know, video games on the sheet where you keep track of all your characters. There are little check boxes for unselectable or injured. Don't sleep on that because don't, don't pick to your two favorite characters. And then, Oh, these are my two characters for the rest of the game. No, no, they are not. So just <laughs> make sure don't only have four characters who are good. Make sure if you unlock new characters, as you progress, at least give them some gear, you know, just in case you have to use them later. Yeah, I've never played a JRPG. <laughs> I, I didn't even know the genre or any. I was so like out of it. I didn't. I mean, th- this is this is brand new to me, Brian. Like I've never played an RPG before. And I, I came from playing video games. Like you said, Diablo. Uh, I loved Diablo 2 back in the day. And this was literally felt like we were all for playing a video game of like the Witcher or Elder Scrolls Skyrim or whatever, but we're all playing together and it just felt so it was, it was fun. It was a lot more fun than a video game. Well, it's just, you know, you have your, your party of four people, but there will come a point in the story where one of those people's not around or one of those people gets hurt or something like that. So I had the unfortunate case. So we were, we were playing, it's just me and my buddy. I was controlling two characters. He was controlling two characters. There was a point, and I'm not going to say which two characters. This was late in the game. So at that time, we had, you know, more than just your starting four because you do unlock other characters. Mm -hmm. So the two characters that I had, that I had fine-tuned, they were killing machines. Something happened, and they were both gone. So so I had to do two scenarios with one of my buddy's throwaway characters that he wasn't even using anymore, and then another guy who's basically naked. We just had to try to, like, okay, what's in our stash? Let's give him whatever we have. It's like, okay, well, he's just going to go around and grab loot because he can do nothing else. So oh, it's wow. just, just keep some stuff in your stash at the very least so that, you know, don't just sell everything. They don't sell for very high prices anyway. No, they don't. Um, right. Yeah. So we just, we ended the game with like a three inch stash of cards just because we learned early on, like, all right, we're not going to sell anything back just in case that happens again. So yeah, right. it was, uh, it's really cool when it happens in the story, you know, something happens and this person's gone, but it seemed like every time that happened, it was one of my two characters. And it's like, awesome. Let's play with this rando and see if he's any good. <laughs> nope. Yeah. Nope. Still not. <laughs> I do have to say like, it is not like we'll come over. It's been, everybody's coming over on Sunday, like around one o'clock and we'll just have some snacks. Like they, they all, they each have kids of their own. So they'll come over and the kids will be playing and we'll be, playing game too but we don't we did the scenario or the the foreteller app and 
it just read too cheesy for us. We were just couldn't get into it. So what we're gonna do is um, we're gonna I'm gonna scan the the booklet and just email them. Hey, here's the story. Read it before we come out, and that way we're all on the same page, so we can just jump in and play. Yeah, I think it's on their website. I think you can download the PDF and just send them the PDF and tell them. I did what not chapters know that. Okay. Sure. I know there's like cliff notes, which was cool. We did that one time. It was just like shortened up the. Yeah, I think it's on there. So that was part of our issue too, and one of the reasons that we took we we took another month off because since I was on the original Kickstarter, when they did the Kickstarter for Acts two and three, they also sent out an upgrade kit. Yeah, that I saw upgrade that. Kit changed some rules, changed almost all of the cards. So about halfway through our two and a half year session of Madara, we had to relearn rules and retool our characters because some of the abilities didn't work well with each other anymore. They oh, like geez. they completely overhauled how summoning worked. And I, of course, had the summoner. Um, so I had to relearn how to do all of that stuff and then just change out all the cards. So it was I mean, it was fine. I'm only 50 percent sure we played it correctly the entire time we were playing it. But um, <laughs> overall, I mean, the experience was still great. And the story was the story was well written and very good. That's good to know, because I'm really hoping the story's good. Um, yeah, I just I, I want a nice story when you're playing the game like this. So. Very cool, man. I'm excited to continue it. I'm shocked you didn't like the foreteller app voice oh my gosh no it was, who does, it was who rough. does that because they released their own recordings is, is it the same thing or is this a third it's party free. it's yeah i think it's third i think yeah. they have to hire somebody but it's it's a lot of hours of i mean do you see how i, I forget how many hours of actual Tw- audio 23. it is 23 hours yeah, you gotta pace i mean but they're offering it to us the consumer for free which is yeah. that's i mean you can't ask for anything better than that so my complaints are you know unfounded but at the very least, I'm definitely going to we'll, we'll definitely read the story as it goes. Yeah, because I know they release audio files again on their website. That's what my friend listened to the audio files. I just read it because I had it in my house so I could go read it. And then I would just text him all of the next story things that he needed and he would just go listen to it. The audio wasn't terrible with what we listened to. So I'm wondering if it's different than Foreteller. So maybe hop on their mm. site and see what they have because I know <laughs> yeah. they did do the audio um, for all of that stuff, which was pretty good. But yeah, there is a lot. I think once we finish the game, I knew the end of the game was coming up. I looked ahead because I was like, all right, we're towards the end of the book. How many more do we have? Uh, after after we finished the game, we I sat and I read for 45 minutes. That's how much story there was once the game was over. Oh, so it was, uh, we, okay. we finished it. And we're like, oh, we did it. And then we sat and read for 45 minutes, which is fine. That I was like, like Return of the King style. Uh, yeah. 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 It was basically, the, yeah. It was the fourth Lord of the Rings novel. I will have, I, I do want to say, like, when Ashley, my wife, was getting it, and I know when she's getting into a game, it was the that one day we did the third scenario in a row. She's like, all right, guys, I'm going to get some, because we were drinking beers, and my buddy Caleb gets like, he he gets a bunch of stuff from around the the states, like in New Hampshire and whatever. He's got all these fancy stuff, and so she's like, "All right, I want to get some wine," and we're all kind of getting set up for the scenario. And I, we all go upstairs, and I'm like, I see the bottle that she pulled out, and I'm like, "Did you really pull this one?" She's like, "I did. I couldn't find any other bottles. This is only is this a good one?" It was a tw- <laughs> it was a 2014 Malbec from it, it's like a really nice oh. um yeah from the we were members at Chapelet and Napa and as a 2014 Malbec, man, it's like 
as old as my son. And I'm like, what are you doing? But she's like, it's really good, though. Try it. And I was like, of course it's going to be good. But It's a good gaming wine. Yeah. It was a good. It was a good I was like, I was saving that for like a, a nice night. And she's like, well, this is kind of fun. So I knew she was having a good time at that point. So there you go. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> But anyway, that's that's what I've got going on, and yeah, we'll uh, we'll see what the rest of the year brings. Well, cool. So to to wrap it up, we got uh, Age of Steam, good. Thank uh, Thanksgiving Crokinole, good. We've got uh, Too Many Bones, good. We've got Madara, that's awesome. We have Nemesis, that's great, and then uh, then Brian played some Mage Knight. So uh, I guess we can head over to Capstone yeah. Corner. Thanks for having me on. All right. So everybody's been asking about, I'll start with the EU real quick. Um, We have Imperial Steam and Pipeline Emerging Markets. By the time this drops, those should be at least tracking numbers delivered to you, otherwise in your hands. It's just been a long time coming. Logistics, we've been dealing with it, but we're not giving up. We're going to get you your product. Don't, don't freak out. So, um, in the U.S. and and pretty much everywhere else, we've got Glass Road dropping. Gaia Project's going to be here. We've had a ton of new releases. I Orleans came in, and we're pretty much sold out of that. Luxaterna is the same thing. Curious Cargo's back in. We've got a lot of new products coming in. We're starting to focus on packs Unplugged here in the next two weeks. And then really just looking at Gen Con and Origins for next year, planning for those shows already. I already have an idea of what, what releases we're going to have for there. And uh, yeah, just getting things shipped out just in time for holidays and gearing up for 2022. What about the Spiel releases? What, when were we expecting those? Wasn't that uh, January, yeah. February timeframe? That's a good question. We have three big... Sp- uh, we had Imperial Steam, so that's already here. But sure. probably the biggest release was Arc Nova. That's going to be... We finally got a container for that. My God, that took forever. That's going to be here, I think, in time for February st- still. I put some buffer on that for February release, and I really think that's going to be a definite February release. Boone Lake will be January as well as uh, Maracaibo, the uprising. And then when this releases, this would all already have been announced, but we're doing, we're doing clinic and I'm so excited about that. Cause that was my favorite game from, I think 2019 when that deluxe edition came out and, or maybe 2018, but Albin Viard, man, he is such a good designer, such a unique designer. We're going to be doing the deluxe version of the base game. There's five, uh, expansions for this game and then there's a campaign book what's really cool is josh this might be a game that you would just absolutely love i'm just gonna guess i don't know Which have you one? played clinic? it yeah oh yeah i love clinic i'm terrible at it we don't play it anymore because tim <laughs> beats us regularly by triple points but this is a tim game this is an ultimate <laughs> yeah. tim like i'm gonna oh, smash yeah, yeah. you game yeah oh yeah i love it though it's great so, I, have you guys experienced any of the expa- the expansion module that came with the Kickstarter, the very first one? 
Yeah, Brian, do you, I know we've been playing your copy. What I, I think we played what the, the have we have we gotten into that extension? I think we just played maybe the expansions in the base. Now that I'm thinking about yeah, it, yeah, I know. Yeah, because the base comes with some just other like you fire extinguishers, um, blood. Did we? There's zombies, blood, um, overworked doctors. Yeah, so yep. we might Jerry's. have done one. Yeah, you know what we did? Yeah, we did the geriatrics, um, which is from the extension. That, the last game we played, we tried those out. So that's, that's what I love about this. It's the, the core system of clinic is there, but then you can add in these small little mini expansions or modules, whatever you want to call them. Mm -hmm. The rules Mm -hmm. are like maybe a page at the most for the little things you're throwing in. So if you know the base game, you're totally fine to throw in expansions. Right. Um, But what's going to happen is you've got five expansion boxes and that might seem overwhelming because each one has 15 modules or whatever's in there. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Albin worked on this for two years, a uh, campaign book. And there's like three or four different campaigns in, in this book. And there's different store. It's he, he's trying to do us. I know it's not a narrative game. Okay. We, we can get that out mm-hmm. of the way, but he's drafting it that way to where you're going to play the base game first and you're going to, you're going to pick, what type of story you want to play. And I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but it's, they're different themed stories and you're going to go through and, and it's like in this, in the first scenario, you throw in something from expansion one and something from expansion three. And it just slowly introduces all these mini modules as you play throughout this campaign series. And there's different difficulty levels and everything like that. But I thought that was just a nice way to tie in all these different expansions together and to you know yeah that is that, that's cool. a neat way to do it so so now as you go through that that campaign book is it going to like highlight and say get this module from this extension and this module from this extension type thing yes it's very explicit in which exp- okay. extension it comes from but then there's like some okay. flavor te- there's like a story that goes on about what's going on in the city and why this is happening and what you're going to need to do and it's he, he's pulling in some nice narrative style to this hardcore euro style game which is or i don't even consider this a euro game man it's more like a a tycoon it's, game it's from the pcs yeah. yeah right right and still right. a better story than nemesis oh man how dare you oh, i will agree to that <laughs> i will cheers to you on that one <laughs> <laughs> no i'm i'm looking forward to uh to yeah. those uh additional extensions those were uh what yeah. they came out on a kickstarter what last year i think yeah, so he's and, done. Uh, yeah, he's done a few of the extensions, and then, yeah, so we're we're helping out with fulfilling that Kickstarter, and we will release that in March, just in time for the Game of Trade show, and yeah, the, so we've got a lot of quarter one this year is going to be big. I mean, we're we're having yeah, monster wow, okay. monster releases. Yeah. So well, I mean, I will say, Clay, we did a we started a ten by five that beginning of the year and when we were trying to figure out what games we wanted to put on there there were only two games that all four of us wanted to put on there clinic and age of steam like those two are such a good like 10 by 5 10 by 10 whatever how many i mean just oh yeah exploring that system is so cool those are two games that yeah i would throw concordia in that mix too i do love concordia yep absolutely that'd be another good one but yeah, so that's that's what we got going on. It's it's pretty wild, pretty busy, and uh, in the meantime, playing games and 
I don't know. Trying to figure out what what day it is, man. It's just insane. All right, so our main topic for tonight is going to be balance. A couple questions we have. Is it a good thing or can a game have too much? Before going too far, how do we define balance? And is balance different for different types of games? So we got all kinds of questions in there. But uh, And one thing I noticed when we were starting to pull this together, this topic may very well just split us and the audience a bit just simply by our, our gaming tastes what genres we're interested in and, you know, the, the ones that uh, have, have drawn us in. I wasn't uh, positive where the conversation may take us, but figured we'd uh, we'd toss this out and, and see where it goes. So uh, defining balance, uh, wanted to put a couple boundaries on it just at, at, at first, just to, uh, so it wasn't just completely wide open. So let's first talk about, uh, I guess, some of the more basic dueling type um uh, situation so a two-player competitive symmetrical closed construction environment so it basically you're just showing up two-player dual uh type type game so um but like a i guess force right now or something not even rift force because I, I pull rift force out of here because that's an open construction part of the game is drafting who you're gonna play oh you're talking like you start from okay yeah so it's it's you're handed the you're you're handed your set pieces type type thing and now Mm -hmm. uh using a very similar you know symmetrical strategy what would you do so things like chess go uh obviously that's on the on the abstract side but seven wonders duel patchwork uh targi shobu uh mandala Homeworlds, I think we've talked pretty much about all of these in the last uh, last couple of months, but it would seem the, the definition for balance for these types of games would be intent um, really on negating the first player advantage. I guess that's just my initial thoughts what or my initial ideas. What, what thoughts do you guys have on that? The thing about that first player advantage is it's so huge because they like, I mean, just take chess, for example. That opening move, what that person chooses to do can set the direction for the whole game. And so, you know, there's, I know that, you know, for example, Star Realms, while it is an open construction kind of game, there's a lot of statistics because the people I play with are ridiculous and they have kept millions of games of stats because uh, a guy I knew who I used to work for built a website that captured every game because he did some things on the internet that captured all these games. And we won't talk about it for fear of him getting in trouble for things that he shouldn't have done. Um, But like he had millions of games because, you know, some I've played 10,000 and I'm a middle range player. Like they have all kinds of games, but my, the difference between my first player win percentage and my second player win percentage was like 10 to 15 points. Like, wow. And it and they even did things to try to mitigate that. Like the first player draws less cards and they, you know, they have less ass- access to things because of that. But because of the mechanic, the deck building mechanic, they get to that shuffle first, which means they see their new their the cards they bought first, which gives them an advantage. So it's because they can drive so much of the game and and that applies to, you know, in in homeworlds. You you be the first one to draw from the from the pot of of pyramids and be like, well, what am I playing? The second player gets to negate that a little bit because 
they're kind of getting to decide, am I playing big universe, small universe, medium universe? Like, um, but they get to choose and kind of really dictate if, if they choose a medium and a large pyramid for their home world, they're, they're forcing an economic game where once all the one size pyramids are gone, you've lost access to their home world. Or if you go, um, a one and a three, a one and a two size, a small and a medium size home world, you're, you're driving the game towards, uh, an economy where you're getting the big pyramids out first. And so it, that first player being able to really drive the kind of direction of the game is really huge. I mean that, and I think that's why there's so much focus on negating that to that first player advantage, just because that it's, they can drive so much of the direction of the game. Now I got to the opening moves, especially when you're first player. I mean, you can really set the stage for, uh, for setting up the rest of the, uh, uh, at least at the, the the beginning strategies. Now I, I get that. Now again, from a from a chess standpoint, eh, I mean you tend to have black. Uh, you know the, the 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 black player has specific uh, opening uh, openings as well, which aren't necessarily dictated by what the white player does. But at the same time, they've been designed around knowing that you're going second. So it's kind of a, a weird weird situation there. So. Uh, Clay, Brian, how about you guys? What do you, what do you guys think about in, in that space? Well, I think with, with two-player games specifically, I think it's really less about the first-player advantage and more about just are the two people playing at the same level. And you can really see that with like chess and Go. It doesn't matter if I go first if I'm playing somebody who actually knows how to play Go. All I know is yeah, I barely know the rules of Go. So if you're playing somebody who actually is better than you and I, I know go does have built-in things where you can spot them so many stones or something like that as well mm-hmm. just other things to attempt to balance it but in head-to-head games i think the first player yeah it's important but what's more important to me is are they on the same level because if if one person is just better than the other person in a two-player game that person's most likely going to win most of the time so skill-based and, and from a go standpoint i mean that's it's called comey but it's um it, you start off with some points basically like a handicap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's really what it is. It's like it's yeah. You've got uh, you've got free territory uh, points from from that standpoint. And then if it gets if if the uh, if the skill is is too different, the the first player actually starts with stones already on the board in uh, prescribed locations, which are tend to be solid locations. Because and and that does a, re- a really good job of of handicapping that that type of game, but uh, but no, yeah, I I gotcha, I gotcha. This specific like setup, like two player, it's competitive, symmetrical, everything's the same on both sides, closed construction. That rem- it's like very analogous to me to uh, martial arts or like boxing. I took a few lessons and where, yeah, if you are the first player. You, it's on the surface. I think it looks like you have an advantage, but when you're in the heat of the moment, you're playing for the counter. So you don't want to be the first person to go necessarily. Like mm-hmm. if you're talking like boxing or whatever, you're because you're looking for the counter to come in there and, and find the weak spot. Somebody because that first player is going to make a move. Now you want to exploit all of the ways that you can exploit that one right. move to really you know, pin them. And that's, that's kind of the way I go about it with these types of games when they're like this closed construction is a really good way of describing it. But just, I'm looking to see what the player does. And then I'm going to exploit their move 
to the fullest of my ability. I don't know if that's going to answer the question on the balance or not, but it's more, I I don't know if it's going to transcend the game itself, but I'm just looking to more of like a tit for tat. You did this. I'm going to look to, you know, circumvent your strategy or whatever. Well, I think the idea, the idea there from a balance standpoint would be that you have uh, within the rules, you have something that gives you the opportunity to detect and then be able to counter. So I think, I think it makes sense. I I think it makes sense because it could be totally a situation where, yeah, you can see what you can see what's going on, but due to the, due to the rule set, you can't take an, take the action that you need to take in order to really make a, uh, you know, a meaningful counter. So it would, it would seem like that's probably where it would, where it would fit there. All right, cool. Mm. What happens if we if we modify that in, in the the last one? So we we say keep it keep it two player, keep it competitive, keep it symmetrical, but use an open construction. And this is in in Clay, you you hit on this like a rift force, like an an LCG, like uh, probably heading toward Magic the Gathering, Yu Gi Oh, uh, Pokemon type uh, type style. So uh, you you aren't just playing a uh, let's say a, a constructed deck or a pre-constructed deck, you are developing or constructing that deck by your, uh, on your own prior. I mean, can that really be balanced though? Because well, of the number of variables and iterations <laughs> possible? I would say the banned list from Magic would say no, it can't. <laughs> yeah, I just think that at that point, it's more about discover playing around in this ecosystem of design. You have a free you have an open environment for you to explore and that's kind of the the uh what is it like the attraction to it is is uh, attraction to those games is it's not constrictive you're right. open to do you can, if you can find some stuff that's unbalanced and and you can take advantage of it good on you that's kind of i think that's kind of the benefit of that system right. yeah it's more of a challenge to break it type thing go out find it find those uh what, what were you calling them? The the um, the the endless loops, Brian. Infinite loops. That you yeah. infinite loops. There you go. Yeah, back in the day, we used to play Magic, so we would each we really would build decks to counter each other's decks. So we knew who was going to win before we played the game. So one of my decks had two infinite loops in it, and if I could hit either of my infinite loops, that's it. You don't you don't get any more turns. I'm going to go ahead and sit here for 20 <laughs> minutes, and you're going to lose. <laughs> Now, but there were ways to counter that. For instance, one of mine in Magic would bring out an infinite number of one, two little piece of crap guys that I could attack with, but I could have as many of them as I wanted. So one of the counter decks that somebody put in is I would take a damage every time I brought a creature out. Yeah, that's going to kill me. I can't survive (laughs) one billion damage from the billion creatures I just created or whatever number (laughs) I decided to go with at the time. So it would just come down to, it would be my turn. I would say, okay, I have my infinite loop. Do you have a way to stop it? And if they said no, cool, good game. And we would start another game and, you know, just switch decks to keep it interesting because, it's you know, it's not fun to win for four straight hours. Well, unless you're Tim, that's all he does. But um, <laughs> just different things like, yeah, but to, to Clay's point and also to the point of the banned cards list that Josh was saying, no, I don't think there's any way to balance those at all, and especially if you're not playing um, what do they call it? Do they call it standard? I think in magic yeah, where standard. you yep. have to stay in the cycle they're currently in. You can kind of control that more because everyone's using the same card pool, but we didn't play standard. I mean, we had people going and buying cards that 
were looking real weird because they were from 15 years ago and the rest of us were playing with, you know, stuff within the last five years. But, uh, but yeah, it's, it's very difficult to balance that. But I think it, it to that end, they don't they don't want to balance it. The way the meta evolves and the fact that there is this meta game that goes on, that's the heart of magic is as they keep rotating new cards into those pools, you find that how the meta is going to evolve. And I'm, I mean, we've already kind of seen some of that happen with Rift Force, and I'm really interested to see how that meta on what um, what kind of combos are good and and what kind of defenses there are once Rift Force Beyond comes out, and really being able to see like, all right, well, all of a sudden there's going to be these new factions. Like, what what's going to change to the meta once once these new factions are introduced? Right. That's, I guess, what what I was thinking as well. To to me, that is what you just described. That's part of the game. The construction side is part of the game. Now, again, it's not in the iterative, uh, you know, the the atom of the game. Uh, you know, every every individual um, activity of the game, but it is definitely part of the overall set of all games. Now, let, let's talk specifically on, on Rift Force. I was, I was more talking on the CCG side of things. But um, from a Rift Force standpoint, I'm already seeing a bunch of stuff on threads. I don't know if I believe it or not, but there is uh, one or two of the 10 factions that come in the box that are, uh, are underpowered. That's what, that's what I keep seeing. Now, again, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't hmm. know that they are. And second of all, I, I don't know that I care. Um, it's one of those things that if, if you can figure out how to situationally make, um, you know, be able to exploit or, or, you know, take a, a specific advantage of one of the, uh, one of the faction's powers, I guess I, uh, I always try to look for, for things like that. At least I always, I always did from a, uh, from an 18XX standpoint. And I know that's going to a totally different genre of gaming, but, um, I was always looking for ways for uh, to take a, a, a private company or a minor company and do something with it that no one else had thought of, uh, because that's the, in those types of games. That's usually where you're going to get your key advantages. It's not necessarily going to be just doing the, you know, the, the 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 thing that everyone thinks or expects you to do. Because if you do that, then you're very predictable, and everyone already knows what you you know what what to plan for. So, um, again, that was, uh, have you guys seen or heard anything on that about the balance of the factions within Rift Force? Uh, not really. I've seen a couple threads, um, and maybe it's just me and, and where I'm at, but I, I feel like any game, because we release a lot of games and even with pipeline, it was the, I mean, you see it so many times. It's the, not to transfer to pipeline but yeah the government tiles where you gain like four tiles whatever that upgrade is everybody asks you know why i mean it's just my first move should first player's move is always going to be going to upgrades and getting the government upgrade so that you get a bunch of tiles and it's like i mean after reading the rules yeah that might look like an attractive move but you know when the rubber meets the road and you actually do that you're going to find yourself oh crap that's not a good move at all. And in fact, I think Ryan Courtney even says like, right, you know, up, you don't really want to focus on upgrades for a while in, in, in the game. You need to worry about other yep. things. But hmm. and oh, I, yeah. I see that a lot with any I mean, any game we release, it, it'll have that kind of, you know, after you read the rule book, you get, 
You know, you get an inkling of what the game's like to play. And so you might have an idea of like, wow, this person only does one damage. Is it really, is, that's got to seem underpowered, right? That's that's kind of weak. I mean, we were demoing uh, Boone Lake in Essen and, and some of the, the demoers or the, the players were, you know, questioning the validity of certain actions and, and like, oh, that seems very underpowered. And it's like, you know, this isn't the first time we're, you know, the, the game was played i mean this is this has gone through <laughs> development cycles and you know not to, i try not to be rude about yeah, it but like right. it's you know we there's there's some factors there to it but it just shows you that people are very curious about it and they they can see a long-term strategy with it and they they're interested in it so it, it you know that question does cross your mind but i think once you get uh like knees deep into playing it you'll you'll whatever your play style is you might find that yeah this this faction the way i play is weak and you might want to you know post about like hey this is a weak faction because this this and this but maybe somebody else around the world actually plays that way and you know that that faction is their favorite i you know that's that's kind of where i'm at with rift force i gotcha all right cool what about uh what's it look like in may- maybe some of the more traditional uh games that uh, that capstone's been involved with so let's say uh Let's say, uh, yeah, what about multiplayer games? So three to five players uh, and titles with little to no uh, within-game interaction. So how does balance show up in uh, in those? Josh, what do you think? Well, I think um, I, it, it, it can go a lot of different ways. I know that when, when they were testing for uh, Race for the Chinese Zodiac, I know that there were the designers were spending a lot of time making sure the when they added the cat that it was going to interact with every that's right every single other faction and keep it balanced and just you know so they I know they did the same thing with three kingdoms you know just making sure that the way that every general interacts with the game doesn't give one of the three factions uh, a superior boon if they happen upon a combo it it doesn't just break the game and you know you'll you'll see a lot of that where you know people will test out and. I mean, Terra Mystica, how many times did they, you know, go and be like, oh, here's all the Snellman data. Oh, factions are unbalanced. Let's give them different vi- starting victory points. Like they they have there's a lot of ways that you can balance the game based on data. But then, you know, that that's only in those games where you see sort of that more limited player interaction because there's not as many ways for the players themselves to balance the game. You know, that's different than, say, an Irish gauge where, you know, you have your players doing the balancing. Like, I'm going to drive this auction up because I know this person needs a stock and I'm going to drive the price up because I need them to lose some money here. Like that, that's where the players are going to balance or I'm taking this train to nowhere so that your company in Iberian gauge is going to lose all its stock value. Like, <laughs> I mean, that's. That's a different case because the players have the agency to actually do the balancing. When you have a game with that limited player interaction, the players don't have the agency where they can balance it. So it's up to the designer to put some of that balance into place. Yeah, one of my um, one of my favorite examples of this that I, I heard some stories about was uh, Wingspan and some of the models that were developed and now again, I mean, I've heard it, uh, between Excel spreadsheets and Monte Carlo um, 
designs you're they tend to be a designer's friend from a from a balancing standpoint and it sounded like that was exactly the case with uh with wingspan it was a lot of every card had uh specific features and um almost characteristics as um hargrave was adjusting one it was you know going into some calculation of the value of each card and the idea was when you added up all this stuff that the total value was uh, was pretty equivalent across the uh, across all the span of all the other types of cards. So I'm sure there are other examples of it, but that that's just one that comes to mind. Yeah, going back to Three Kingdoms real quick. I remember when we were doing the production for that, I was asking the designers for new generals or some kind of you know enhanced benefit for you know when we're going to release it. And their their reaction was definitely no. We're we can't test all of the uh, you know how it's going to affect all the other generals and all the other the unification cards, the separation card, yeah, the buildings right. and everything. So all the, all the potential interactions. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, you hit the nail on the head, Josh, with uh, the cat and race for the Chinese zodiac. That was that took months to come out with. I remember that. Just adding that one that one piece and that one um, set of mechanisms. That's interesting. Hmm. Yeah, they wanted to make it thematic too to the story of this of the Chinese zodiac, and you know they they did a really good job with it. Oh, that's cool. Going back quickly to to Josh's point about Terra Mystica, I mean, hundred percent correct. That you know there are certain factions that are better than other ones, right? But that doesn't mean, I mean, I think, I think one of the commonly thought of as the worst faction are the Giants. I think they're commonly thought of as one of the worst factions. Now, does that mean that there's a player out there who isn't amazing with the Giants and you could beat a lot of people with the Giants? No. But at the same time, you mentioned Tara Snellman. And I think most people don't know what that is. They don't realize that there's a website out there that records all the plays, uses that data and tells you, here are the overpowered factions. For most people playing these games, there is no overpowered or, un- or unbalanced or, or, or not. They're just playing it to have fun and they're playing it the way it's meant to be played. But when you start playing a game so many times, I mean, like my magic deck with the infinite loop, I didn't play it that often because it wasn't fun to play against. And I had to be aware of that and realize, okay, I've got my two wins with this. Let's go play something else and get rocked by everybody else's cool decks and things like that. <laughs> well, and I think that that also is an element of just board gaming in general is that there are definitely some people who play games with an intent to dominate people. And that's, that's why they play them. But those people can sometimes not be fun to play with because they, they seek out these ways that the game might be unbalanced just to try to exploit it. But I think generally speaking, I think Brian's right that, you know, if people play the game just to just to have fun and see what it has to offer, the balance issues don't come into play as much because people aren't trying to find ways to break the game. And when they do, they tend to, like Brian said, to just try to avoid them. I mean, I know that Brian and I play a lot of Terra Mystica online together and, you know, we have uh one of the guys who's really good with the Dragon Lords, but he very rarely plays them because he's kind of like... Well, I figured out how to win with them every time I play with them. So why would I play with them? Like, let's, I'm going to play different factions just to try to keep the game fresh. And that's 
really what all of us do. Like every game, the four of us that play together, everybody's switching factions every time just because we're looking to keep the game fresh. And I think that's where a lot of people are is they don't see the imbalance because they're not playing the game with the intent of I'm going to prove that this game's unbalanced or I'm trying to find the way the game is unbalanced for my own reasoning. Like they're just enjoying the game the way it was, as Brian said, meant to be played. Very well said. I agree. No, I agree. I agree too. And the, uh, the concern or issue is when you pit individuals who are playing with that intent with some of those hyper competitive folks that are looking to exploit every, uh, you know, every, every loophole in the, uh, in the rule book trying to get that, uh, that additional advantage. So no, I, 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 I gotcha. It's, um, as, as long as you got folks that are all playing a, a similar type game, it's a, the, the balance or uh, lack of balance ends up not, not necessarily being an issue. And that's even when it's outside of the, outside of the, the player's hands, kind of like what you were saying, Josh, that, that idea of when the players can't, um, can't help uh, to, to really uh, do some of the balancing um, the, the, the players themselves uh, as uh, rather than controlling the one player who maybe has a, you know, quote unquote advantage, it's more now you, you just self-select out of it and say, yeah, okay. I, I, you know, maybe it looks like I, I found something here. I, I kind of broke it. Uh, I'm just not going to do that anymore. Yeah. So that was, that, that was reminding me in, in Clay, I, the name of the game is escaping me right now. I know you had it. It was a Martin Wallace game, Cubes. Um, but it had a, uh, what was it, the Halifax Hammer? Oh, you're snow. talking about a few acres of snow. A few acres of snow. Yeah. That's it. That's it. That's it. The Martin Wallace design? Yep. Yeah. That was a notorious, that's like probably the most notorious game that's unbalanced. Yep. You know, you, you you go on Board Game Geek, man. You can read all about it. And I did you even read the strategy? I didn't. I I know it's called the Halifax Hammer. No, it, it, that's the thing. I haven't looked into it. When I hear stuff like that, I, I just okay. I, I guess if I find it, if I stumble on it, that's that's fine. Same. But yeah, I'm not. Uh, it's not something I'm going out there trying to research and and trying to figure out how to how to how to use it. Exactly. What's the instructions for this. Yeah. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I right. mean. I'm not trying to bake a cake here. Yeah. I, I want to explore the game, you know. <laughs> and and Tim, I think that's why our group, the the four of us who get together, works so well because none of us are trying to do that. Like, and that's I think one of the things is finding the right group of people to play with. And we happen to find four of us whose tastes couldn't be any more different. But when it comes to things like this, we're we're very uh, we're all on the same page on how we play games and why we play games. And that, that really is, I think one of the more important things is just making sure that, you know, the, the people you're playing with, you're on the same page with, you know, there's groups of people who love to be cutthroat and love to stab each other in the back. And, you know, then there's our group who, with the exception of you, Tim, doesn't like to do that. And we'd like to play nice games and, you know, <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh my I like goodness. To be the, I, I like to play mean. Oh yeah. I'm just going to, I just, and I can it. play mean. It's just not my normal play style. Yeah. I just, you know, we've, we've played games. What was it? We played time of crisis with you, Tim. And Tim, oh. Tim was like in Rome and all of us were like, uh, I don't want to be the one to go in and kick him out. I'm just going to go do this or I'm going to go do this. And then 
Tim won in like four rounds or something. And it's like, why didn't you guys gang up and attack me? And we're like, well, I mean, <laughs> or the same thing with Versailles <laughs> 1919. Like we just, we weren't meaning to each other. And that was against the whole point of the game. <laughs> And then specifically Time of Crisis, I mean, that's that's a king of the hill game. And you can't let anyone just sit there and squat and be the king. <laughs> well, I mean, we did. And, view from the bottom I, of the and that's, I'm like, come fine. on, guys. Someone needs to come. And, and yeah, the first person in might not get the win, but you you got to do it just to knock the legs out of the, of the person on the hill so the second person can come in. But, yeah, it was a big old game of chicken. Everyone just staring, daring headlights type, type situation. But... What were you saying there, Brian? I was just saying the view from the bottom of that hill was still pretty nice. So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, whenever we're playing against Tim, it's a race for second anyway. So the game could still continue. Foregone conclusion. Now there's just a new timer. How long does it take Tim to win? And then who's in second when he does do that? So that's really all it comes down to. That's I don't the, know. the first time I witnessed Tim play a cooperative game was it was shocking. It was absolutely fantastic. <laughs> but he's, you've started to play more cooperative games. A lot of these solo games are a little bit more cooperative. But those are nice because we can't lose, right? It's a cooperative game. So if Tim loses, we all win. And if we all win, we all win. So either way, it's impossible for us to lose. That's why I, I always vote for cooperative games. But no. Of course, that's how you guys play our, our competitive games, too. If I lose, everyone wins. I'm pre- pretty sure I've heard that a few times. I, I won twice on Saturday. I won and Tim lost. So I played Nemesis, so I lost like 10 times or something. I don't know what the (laughs) ratio is. Yeah, back to the aggressive style playing. I think I think that's going to be because I had a a group. One one of the guys I was playing with was very, I mean, very competitive and, you know, was was trying to win. I mean, who's not to say we're not trying to win, but like, I mean, it was evident like it was a tournament and I. I think that that's kind of what, and in, in Brian, you mentioned like playing the game the way it's made to be played and not worrying about the, oh, this the giants are so weak. But I think in a tournament setting, that's when you can turn that on and, and you can really exploit and use the Dragon Lords uh, or whatever faction that was that that one guy could, you know, do some serious damage with. But I mean, how often are we playing tournaments? So, you know. Right. Yeah. I'm never playing tournaments, so I don't. I feel like tournaments kind of sour the experience, in my opinion. But that's another discussion. Well, and, and again, what that to me that just brings another game, right? I mean, it's another game on top of the games. But uh, but no, I, I hear you. It definitely will change the uh, change the environment, change the uh, the whole battlefield of the situation. Yeah, I just wanted to get that in there. Yeah, no, I appreciate it. Keeping within these types of, of multiplayer, minimal interaction um, type games had a question here. And, and a phrase that we often hear is, um, the, I guess the question was around a game like that, having balance, is that the same as having multiple paths to victory? And then if there are multiple paths, should they be perfectly balanced? And this is one I've, I've always kind of wavered on because I don't, I don't know that I want, if there are multiple paths, I don't know that I want them balanced because at that point, then it begs the question, well, then wh- why bother? Why bother picking a path if they're all pretty much the same? What are, what are we doing? 
You're just getting on a different treadmill at that point. Right, exactly. After 90 minutes, we're all going to end up within two points of each other. Why didn't we just roll six-sided dice and whoever got the highest die won? You know, I mean, at, at, at that point. or And again, that that's just one one side of it. What, uh, what do you guys think on that? Well, and I think that there's some difference there in the 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 paths themselves can be balanced all day long because it should come down to how well you can execute things. But I think the where some of these things fall apart is like Puerto Rico. There's like a well-known thing apparently. I don't know what it is, but um, somebody was trying to explain it to me once where if player one does something, player two immediately does this next specific move and they will win every time. And that's where, like, that's where I think a lot of those things can fall apart is, um, yeah, you want to have multiple paths to victory, but you want to make sure that it's not just like a one set of conditions that only one person can achieve, if that makes sense. Like totally scripted. Yeah. And you're just, you're just going through the motions. If I do these five moves and no and nobody, there's nothing anybody can do to stop me, but I just do these like a cheat code, get my Konami code in, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, BA, select, start. Like, yeah, baby. You know, if That's I put in my Konami code, I'm going to win the game. Like, because I, I think, you know, there's, what, one of the classic Euros, Castles of Burgundy, a nice little point salad. You can, there's multiple paths to victory there, but I think every time Brian and I have played that, it's the, the winner's not winning by like two or three points. They're finding a path to victory that is they're 20, 30 points ahead, but that path doesn't always the same one. Sometimes it's animals. Sometimes it's early mine access. Sometimes it's, you know, filling up regions early. Sometimes like there's different paths there and they're not all balanced, but it's, it just depends on kind of the state of the game. Like if that makes sense. No, I got you. So it's it's going to have a little bit more of a uh, oh, the, as the game unfolds, is really yeah. going to dictate which of the paths maybe has a little bit more uh, of an advantage given the uh, given the overall environment yeah. of how the game is shaped up. I got gotcha. you, Brian. Would you agree with that when it comes to castles? Yeah, the thing with castles though too is depending on how you play it, because you can play it that you're all on the same map. And then you have different maps that other people might choose to play. So, for instance, you said the bonuses for filling in a, a specific region. Well, there are certain maps where the regions are all very small. So it's easy to fill in two or three little section regions and get that 10 bonus points in the first round. But the downfall of that is if someone's playing a region that has a or a map that has a seven space region, then it doesn't matter when they score. Once they fill that in, they're going to get the high points for filling in seven as opposed to filling in the two. So that's where it kind of comes back to balancing in terms of I'm sure someone knows what maps are the easiest to score on or how you're supposed to play certain maps. People, I mean, I have a lot of plays of castles and most of them online. I probably have, you know, a couple hundred plays of it in. I can't tell you I have one map over the other one. I don't care. I just like doing the things and scoring points for putting my name on the paper, right? So, I mean, it's just, it's fun. You score points for everything you do. But that's another balancing issue. Is, is there a map that's easier to score points on that scores more points than other ones? I don't know. I've never looked into it. There probably is. I gotcha. But I think Euros are good examples too, especially with the multiple paths thing. Because I'm thinking of games like 
Caverna. Games where you can go out and you can buy a room and then you can use that room to score points. Well, there's only one copy of that room. If you're going out and you've got a room where you can, you know, go get a whole bunch of cattle, butcher those cattle and score points. Well, you're the only one with that room. Nobody else can do that. So somebody else has to get a different room or find another combo to score their points. So uh, Lahav is a great example of that, too. There's a strategy in Lahav of getting the cattle and then you skin the cattle and then you can sell that and get points that way, which is a really good uh, strategy as well. But again, that the nice thing about Lahav is that's a card. Anybody can use that card, even if I own it, as long as there's not another action token on it. Anybody can come and use that. They just have to pay me to use that card. Um, but in other games, that might not, might not be the case. You might have a room that you can get 20, 30 points off of, and nobody else has the opportunity to do that because only one of those rooms exists, and it's it's mine. What are you thinking on this one, Clay? There's so many different cases for this. I think that it's it's hard to to pinpoint it down to to an exact you know concrete answer with this one. But multiple paths to victory because like to, is that Great Western Trail with there's you can't diversify. You have to pick one of the three paths, right? Right. Or Pretty four much. paths. The just three. Yeah. You've, you've you've got you basically have three choices. Yeah, and so like I feel like in which I diversify when I play games, and to me, yeah. But anyway, um, to Brian's point though, I feel like with Agricola and Caverna, it's more open to where that is truly multiple paths to victory because of so many different variables that are at play. And I, I don't know if you can define balance in that kind of that kind of game. I mean, at that point, it's just exploring. You, you have to I feel like you have to go through such a huge exploring portion of the game and, and just uncovering all these nuances of the mechanics and how things interact with each other to even begin to talk about balance. And at that point, you're you're in the top one percent of players of that game. Yeah, right. So, I, I you know, I, I don't know. Well, and I I. I think I remember. So I think it was uh, Eric Martin over at BGG wrote something uh, like six months, a year ago and was talking about something like this. And he was talking about he was teaching a group of people to play something and they came in and they played it. I think it might have been Tapestry. And they were like, this this game is broken because this, this and this. And, you know, the the balance is broken here. And then the next group came in. And somebody tried that exact strategy, not knowing they, they were like two separate groups, like came in not knowing about that. And they complained the exact opposite, that it was broken against the player. And oh, wow. like mm-hmm. it, we play, there, there's so many games to explore now that oftentimes we're not, this isn't, you know, thir- 20 years ago where you're probably playing a game 30, 40 times before you're even moving on to the next game um, that you have, we had more room back then to explore and to, I think this may be broken and then play it 20 more times to find out, yeah, it is, or no, it really isn't. That now oftentimes people are making those snap judgments after one play and not necessarily seeing if that's going to actually be something that is going to actually set in stone that it is broken or whether over the course of several plays, no, that actually isn't a broken strategy at all. It just happened to work that one time. That's yeah. I, I know uh, Rodney Smith made a, uh, a watch it played video. on That might've been a, it. Uh, that might've been it. Yeah. It might've been that. Yeah. 
I know. So I know exactly what you're what you're talking about, and it was exactly exactly how you described it. it was the idea of, uh, yeah, people are taking their very short or very yeah their their very short experience or very limited experience, and then just thinking that that extrapolates out you know perfectly, and that oh yeah, by the way, the, the what happened in this one game obviously happens every time type situation. So yeah, there's definitely some some uh, some false logic in there. That's like going to a. You're in university and you're going. You go to one class in the semester and you know. I know everything. I know everything exactly, exactly. And and, but but people do that. They'll make those snap judgments of balance based on that one play, and how one person exploited something. You know, in situationally, because everything else was set up to do so, and uh, all of a sudden the the whole game gets gets tarnished with a. It's a, it's it's imbalanced or uh, something's overpowered or something's underpowered or whatever. Yeah, I've, I've certainly been guilty of that. And I, I think a lot of it can come from just a bias, right? If it's not a game you're interested in, you play it and someone just does really well, Tim. And then you <laughs> just use that as like justification that you're right. See, we shouldn't have played this game. It's broken or whatever. It's like, yeah, I played it once. They play tested it 4,000 times, but I'm sure my opinion is the correct opinion. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm certainly guilty of that. You guys know you've played with me. Most games are garbage in my opinion, but it's just, um, it's just that bias of whether or not you're like kind of like when you go see a movie, right? That suspension of disbelief type of thing of just giving it leeway, giving it a little bit of a leash because yeah, let's try it out. Let's, you know, kick the tires a few times before we make any judgments on it. Well, and I think even our plays of three kingdoms showed that. I mean, the first time we played it, the scores were Tim 31, Brian 16, Josh 15. And the game has only opened up for us the more we've played it. Like, the mm-hmm. things that we were doing in that first game are nowhere close to the things we're doing in the games now. Like we have seen the game open up and the layers of strategy have kind of started to be introduced the more we've played the game. Um, and I think that there, that's true of a lot of games. Um, you know, I know that Renature was another one that the, yes. the, the first yep. time we played that, we were like, oh, okay, this is kind of interesting. And now it's like, oh, Tim. I'm stabbing you right now in the back because I've now figured out how to exploit this thing and to take all the points and leave you with nothing. And, and so I think that, you know, oftentimes that we sometimes do a disservice by not giving these games really enough time, but we, we just don't have the time to give it a lot of the, a lot of uh, the situations that we find ourselves in. There are too many games coming out. I think it's part of it too. Yeah. You just, you know, how often do you play the same 10 games, you know, in a year's time, unless you're doing like I did a 40 by 10 of solo games this year. Had I not done that, how many actual games would I have done? You know, so or our 10 by five, we gave up on that. We all decided like, yeah, no, we want to play more than just these 10 games. So, um, yeah, you, you know, you're quickly judging those games and getting it off of your shelf so that you can move on and play the newer hotness. Yeah. And I think the the danger is um, w- because we play these games so little sometimes, if a game does finally find some legs and it's it's tuned to that audience that um, is looking for, hey, I'm only going to play it a couple of times, the game can get stale if you play it beyond that. Because oftentimes a lot of those complex strategies get ripped out and 
they kind of simplify a lot of that to be more, I guess, palatable. Because you lose that, then you oftentimes can find the game is like, okay, yeah, I've played it three or four times now, and it's it's stale because we've kind of found everything that we can find in the game. So I know we've had a couple like that over the last year or two. We were a little nervous when we were doing Pipeline uh, with Ryan. He was we're talking about different things with the game and how it's going to land in the market. And this is a game that you need to play multiple times to even have a solid score at the end of the game. And that was something that both of us were very concerned about is, you know, we we were like, yeah, most of the people will play your game one time. You're going to be lucky if they play it twice or more. And that first impression, like you just said, is so, so important. And it's, this, this is another discussion, maybe for a different time, but a, a data point I would like to look at is, are, are we seeing a trend in game design that's being more lenient towards or focused on that first play experience and not the long-term effects of being in the market for five years where people are playing it constantly? Yep, yeah. I gotcha. I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Because it almost seems like there has been, has been a little bit of a shift that uh, that direction, and um, and based on the the behavior of the patterns of the uh, of the consumers, uh, honestly, it kind of makes sense. I mean, yeah. I get it. Look at all these games that are coming with expansions with the base game. Like yeah. most of them are Kickstarters. It's like, all right, sweet, I'm getting the base game and I'm getting ten expansions. Have you played it yet? No. Um, yeah. Are you ever going to play just the base game? No, you're going to at least add in a couple of expansions. Just you have them. Why not? You have the toys. Let's play with them. So, yeah, I mean, that's 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 a good topic. Very good. So uh, that that was one of the things I was I was going to say. So from my standpoint, just to kind of wrap up the um, the overall overall discussion, most of most of my favorite titles are not balanced. Uh, by default, they don't seem to be within the uh, just within the design itself. They uh, they really tend to depend on the players keeping each other in check. So, kind of leaning away from those that uh, that tend to be um, tend to have limited interaction. But of course, uh, you know it all falls back on the the phrase I tend to use uh, quite often. It came up multiple times this weekend, but that <laughs> is every game is a negotiation game, even if it yeah. is one of those QED. <laughs> yeah that's that's the way to be though man well with that let's uh let's talk real quick and uh, head over and talk about our pax unplugged plans and the key is we'll be there we're gonna have a big booth 20 by 30 it's what we had in uh, 2019 big games we're planning on being able to showcase there are uh, basically the same list that Clay was talking about earlier. Imperial Steam, Corrosion, Savannah Park, Glass Road. Those are going to be the four that we're uh, we're looking to feature. Clay, any you have any concerns or reservations on all four of those ending up showing up? Ah, oh, man. You're talking about Glass Road, and we still haven't received that yet, so I'm like, we got to... We got two weeks, man. Ooh, it's going to be tight. It's going to be but, tight. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, but I think everybody's going to be there for corrosion. Honestly, that's been so the, the demand's been through the roof on that. So we'll, we'll be excited for that. Um, regardless, it's going to be a good show. PAX is always fun. Holiday time in Philadelphia. It's fun. I'm excited. Yeah. I don't think we're going to be driving this year, Tim. I'm figuring oh, really? that out tomorrow. Okay. Is, yeah. Cause 
enterprise, the truck rental agency we use, they have a contract with FedEx and Amazon and with online shipping, just blowing up again. It's just, they don't have any reservations that they they can guarantee for, for two weeks out. So, wow. Yeah. We'll probably have to ship stuff there. I'd prefer that. Honestly, that way we could just fly in and play some games. I gotcha. All right, cool. Well, very good. Let me know where that where that ends up landing, and we'll uh, we'll we'll set up around that. Very good. That sounds good. Yeah. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's head over to our Ask Capstone segment. We, we're going to hit one question here, and then we'll uh, we'll we'll wrap things up. So the question comes from Ravi Patel on uh, BGG, and uh, he writes, "Me and my buddies just discovered Cube Rails and are having a fantastic time." We really enjoyed all the Capstone games. I was wondering if there's any appetite to create new maps for this game. The peninsula is great, but I'd really love another map for variety's sake. And this was, uh, I, I snapped this one out of the um, Irish Gage uh, forum. Oh, so, for Iberian? Uh, no, for Irish. For, for Irish oh. Gage. Yep. But the peninsula okay. is okay. Iberian. Oh, well. Yeah, you're right. Well, it's... That's that's a question we've seen though. Is like, can you do an Irish Gauge expansion map or something? And the Tracks magazine, the eighteen XX magazine that just launched on Kickstarter, they did a a mod, a, a variant of the Irish Gauge map based on their magazine's uh, main theme. But yeah, I, it's uh, Amabel Holland who did Irish and Iberian. She is super committed to her company, which I totally. I mean, that's that means a lot because you know you're going to get a good product from from her. So I don't think she's going to have enough time to do invest into creating a brand new map because that the map is so important with the geography and everything that, that that's going to take a long time to develop. So if it if it is, we do it in house. Hint, hint, Tim, uh, you want to <laughs> <laughs> want to get on Josh? That? Yeah. yeah, I'll get on Josh, it. You want to do? Something? Yeah, I'll do it. Yeah, no. I would do it as no. long as if if Amabel was game to take a look at something I put together. I would love to do yeah. something like that. But I think the important thing is it needs to add something significant to the game because if it doesn't, yes. it's just going to dilute the game rather than add to it. Yeah. You want to have some little fun, little fun add-ons to yeah. it. And I, I, I would like, I like the Irish gauge system. Uh, I really like the Iberian gauge system yeah. with how you can, the companies can just crash. That is, it's, it's neat. So having more maps on that would be great yeah well maybe i'll have to put together some suggestions to send to you and you can talk to amabel about them (laughs) absolutely if anybody's listening to this and wants to throw something my way um just jump in our discord and send me a a message and we'll we'll get we'll get talking see what's up i got Uh some ideas Uh i'll uh i'll send some stuff to you (laughs) okay all right all right well, I have to get going because I have twins screaming upstairs and my wife needs me. So, uh, All right. Very I good. Have fun. Take care, have Josh. Have fun good signing you, off. Uh, we'll talk to you guys later. And hey, Clay, the standard yes, Amigo version of No Thanks you can get on Amazon is three to seven players for twelve ninety nine. Oh, that's such a dude. That's an insta buy. Yep. Doing so, it. All right. Hey. Have a great Thanksgiving, right, Josh. Have a sign you. off, everybody. We'll, uh, we'll talk to you later. Bye. See you, Josh. All right. So with that, join our Discord and toss a question or a comment in the Ask Capstone channel. 
These can range from industry questions to game preferences, all the way to personal day-to-day -day questions. Uh, lastly, join us next time when we discuss 2021 year in review. So with that, we'll catch you next time. Beyond the table. All right. All right. Holy hey, Brian, cow. do you... I, one question I wanted to ask you. Do you sleeve your games like Madara? Do you sleeve it? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I am, I'm doing the same. I kind of feel weird doing it because the cards just sit there. I even but. took... So the small, uh, the small ones where the disciplines are, I yeah. have a binder. And I organized a binder. It fits oh, those. that's smart. I even took the hidden ones, and I made sure not to look at them. And I even put those in the binder in numerical order. That way, I don't have to worry about leafing through those tiny cards. I just use that binder. Um, plus, I knew it, once I had everything out of the box, I knew it wasn't going back in the box. So I figured the more I could get out of there, the better. Uh, so yeah, I put those in the binder. And then I 3D printed some other card holders for all of the other, I think, the, med the medium-sized cards.